This is Warren Perry, and I'm here with Benjamin Bloom today in the galleries of the National Portrait Gallery. We are talking on this May 27th, Wednesday, with Ralph Wolf Cowan. Ralph has painted more reigning heads of state than any portrait painter in history, and R.W. is also the gentleman who painted our portrait of Elvis, one of two life sittings of Elvis in existence, and we're going to ask R.W. a few questions about how he came to meet Elvis and how he came to paint his portrait. First of all, though, I'd like to ask him, can you tell us how you got started in painting and where you trained and a little bit about yourself? Okay, but before that, I'd like to say the reason that I painted more reigning monarchs than any other portrait painter in history was not that I was that good, but because of airplanes, because I could fly all over the world in a half a day and get to the kings where in the old days were the great portrait painters. They took them a half a year to get from one country to the other. So that's what did it. It was the airplanes. And you, you asked me again about how I got started. Well, when I was in uh, Sunday school, there was, somebody had left a box of oil paints there. And I was told, and I was only four or five years old, and I was told that that's for grown-ups. So I immediately took them home with me and knew they were for me. And they said, you have to paint on canvas. So the only canvas in my house was my mother's ironing board. She had several layers of canvas. I took off a layer, stretched it with pens over cardboard, and painted a portrait of her. And she gave me a dollar. And I was a depression baby, and I had never seen more than a nickel or a dime. So I thought I was rich, and that was going to be my profession. So everybody that came to my mom's house, I would say, you wanted your portrait painted for a dollar? You want your portrait painted? And they all said, I don't have time to sit. So what I would do is sort of hide behind the chair and memorize them. I developed a photographic memory. So I, and then I'd run into my bedroom, paint, come back out, take another look, and go in. And when they finished their little visit or coke with my mom, I would show them the portrait and try to sell it to them. And it's been that way ever since, except we raised the prices <laughs> and got some more interesting people. Where did you train? Well, I was given a scholarship to the Art Students League when I was 16 years old. I graduated from high school. And I came up to New York and never was afraid or anything. And they, it was on 57th Street. And uh, I went from room to room. It was filled with uh, people returning from uh, the war. The government let you go to art school and had no grades. So they all wanted to go there. So it was sort of packed with uh, returning vets and so I couldn't get, seem to get enough attention, so I would run to the one who mixed up paints well, and then I'd go to another one who had something, another thing they would show about light, and so I just sort of just went to every one, and then there was a time that I felt like I wasn't getting as much as I needed, so I went up to the Metropolitan Museum, and you were allowed to copy paintings, so at 8.30 in the morning, I would set up a thing in front of a Rembrandt, and then I went through the whole Rembrandt room, and then I went up. But once you get to Peter Paul Rubens, you nothing ever gets any better than that. And once you start doing Anthony Van Dyke's and copying uh, Rubens, there's no higher place to go than if you can get just any of their brushstrokes. So, but what they made me do, they made me cut off 
two inches on every side when I did a Rembrandt. Now, here I was all, all at this point, about 17 years old, and they thought I was running a ring of selling old masters down in South America or something, but they made they thought they were too good to, uh, that I must be selling them somewhere. But anyway, that's how I got... I think I learned more there by copying the old masters. And the guards knew me, so they would let me get really close so that I could look behind that paint stroke and behind that paint stroke to what was underneath. And uh, so I figured them all out at that time. Then, after you completed your cycle of training, you were in the military, is that right? Right. One night I got mad at my girlfriend. We were trying to have a long-distance relationship, and I got mad. I said, I'll I'll show you. I'm going to join the Army. And it was all just braggadocio. And then that next morning I had signed... So there I was. And once I got in the Army, I got, went to a paratrooper school and I went to a couple of leadership schools. And then I went, they told me, if you have any problems, I didn't want to be a number anymore, just my numbers. All, you know, I didn't like that part of it. And uh, so I went to a chaplain and my division chaplain. And I showed him some old photographs of some portraits I'd done of my high school principals and all that. So he, he uh, decided, you know, I've always wanted a portrait of me in my uniform. So that day he took me into town, bought me a whole new set of paints, bought an easel, and he gave me the cadre room back in, in the uh, chapel and made it my studio. And then from then on, uh, I painted that. But he even bought a gold frame from a furniture store, so I would have it all ready. And I noticed that while I was painting on on uh, him, and he posed a little bit, but we also did some photographs so I could get all the medals correctly. It's very important when you're doing military to get every one of those medals correct. And um, I noticed that every day at 3.30, the division colonel, the bird colonel, came right by the chapel, going all the way around his division. He did it every day. So when the painting was finished and dried and in the frame, I walked right in front of the car. The car hit the brakes. He jumps out. And within 15 minutes, I was on special duty to the bird colonel. But I made a deal then. I can't believe I was, you know, as a dumb soldier, I'm making these deals. And I said, uh, but you have to show it to the general. He said, oh, he comes over for barbecue all the time. And uh, from then on, uh, I was painting generals. And they would fly me from one general to the other. I painted, you know, like uh, Jumpin' Joe Swing out in California. And he was a three-star general. Then I painted Lyman Lemnitzer, four-star. So I got, but the thing of it is I made, told them the rules that I was the division artist. And there is such a thing, but that means you have to be, you know, jump from a plane in combat and draw and paint, you know, during the battle. But nobody had looked that up. So I just said, I'm the division artist and I can't paint family because they wanted me to paint their daughters and their all that. And I would have been painting like crazy all the time. So I said, I can only paint generals. And so I got by that way. And uh, so I painted quite a few of them. And... Uh, so that was the way, you know, so they would give me some rank and they would give me a vac, you know, a little uh, furlough or something. So uh, I, I really enjoyed it, you know, so. After the Army, how did you meet Johnny Mathis? 
Oh, okay. I was, uh, I found out while I was painting those generals that I would fly, like in California, I knew where I'd go to Beverly Hills to, you know, seek that out. Then in, I went down to Florida and I would hang out in Miami Beach and I loved that. I even called a general once to wire me some money. And uh, it was just sort of like crazy, but it was fun. And uh, so anyway, at, at Miami Beach, when I got out of the service, I decided that rather than come back to New York, I wanted to go directly to Miami Beach. So they had just opened up the Fountain Blue Hotel, which is considered the best hotel in the world. And I wangled myself a studio there. And I, everybody in the art world and, and the art students league kept saying, well, you go to an art colony. And I thought, well, why would I want to hang out with other artists if I'm going to, they won't commission any paintings. And I thought the best thing you can do is to go to a place where women dress up beautifully with all their jewelry and the men take them there. And that would be the uh, to these great, great uh uh, they had big shows at the Fountain Blue, and Johnny Mathis starred. After the first couple of years, he starred there, and the minute that he saw my studio, he wanted a painting done. So we went up on the roof, photographed him in that white outfit and all that, and I painted uh, nine, no, seven or eight paintings of him. But he bought them as portraits, and then they would put them on the album covers because the album cover doesn't pay that much but the portraits paid more. And uh, so I always, and then after that I went to Caesar's Palace and opened up a studio there. You know, everybody gets to know everybody in the hotel world. And and they, you paint the owner's children or something and you get involved and everybody becomes family in that group. So I was able to, uh, and I liked hotel living. I mean, you're supposed to be smart and live in a little apartment away but I would live in upstairs. <laughs> All the money I was making was going back to them anyway. So I sort of lived by the seat of my pants as an artist. And uh, I don't regret any of that because I don't know how you, you can be around. You've got to be around people who can afford you all the time. And that's there's other ways of doing it, and I'm sure I don't know how the other portrait painters did it, but they found their way of doing it. But I always got invited everywhere, and all the movie stars wanted to hang around me, and I was, you know, it was marvelous being around all these. So I went out to Hollywood, and I'm, you know, Debbie Reynolds would take me to MGM Studio and set me up on a ladder and let me watch all this going on, and then she'd say, Well, aren't you bored? I said, I'm the happiest guy in the world sitting at MGM. And they hired me to do a few movie stars for for magazines and everything. So it was, uh, you had to be there. And I would stay up late at night. Johnny Mathis liked to record at four in the morning. And, and then I met the whole Rat Pack because everybody hung out in the health club because everybody was drinking a bit and they would go and get hosed down and 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 all these massages, and they th- they're ready for another night of drinking. So I would be the only one allowed in the health club with them, and they would. So they started commissioning portraits there. So I got to hang out with that group, and and I liked that kind of living at the time. I you know now I don't care for it, but that time I did. You know, so it was fun. Where a lot of artists have to have second jobs, it seems like you picked the right job in the first place, and you started hanging around people who wanted to have their pictures hanging around them. So 
Johnny Mathis led you to Elvis. That was in oh, yeah. Las Vegas, right? Yeah. Well, no, but Johnny's, when I used to stay at Johnny's house, when I was, you know, visiting uh, L.A., I would, uh, I would, uh, you know, he would say, oh, I just got a call from Elvis or one of his things. They're looking for you to do a portrait because they saw the portrait of me. Elvis called Johnny Mathis. And Johnny says, I think it's Elvis or one of his impersonators. But singers don't really like each other that much. They all pretend to. But it was, you know, and uh, so I talked to Elvis. And I don't know if I can say this part about it. But when Elvis first asked me to do a portrait, he wanted a life-size nude of himself. Now, do you know what that would be worth today? I don't know whether they could hang it here in the Nashville Portrait Gallery. But he wanted a life-size nude. And I always had some funny remark to make. I'm not going to go into that. But I, we would laugh. And he got the idea I didn't want to paint his portrait. And I was just trying to be a smart aleck with that thing. So then finally, one time in Vegas, uh, when I had the studio there, he walked, found the studio, and he walked in and stood in front of the door. Now you can't get out, because, and, but I'll wear whatever you want me to wear. He thought it was something I didn't want to paint it nude. But it sounded to me like a joke, but it wasn't a joke. Anyway, uh, then he poses. I told him, and we started doing um, that circular one. I had a, that ready right there at the time, and I started drawing on it and the whole thing. And he said... Uh, I'll, you know, I said, you know, superstars wear white. And when he performed, he always wore black leather at that time. And the shows there were all with black leather. And uh, so he said, well, what do you mean superstars wear white? I said, if you ever see a Broadway show and everybody comes out and all they're in a big musical and they're all in colored costumes, the star comes out one more time in white and stands out from everybody as the superstar. And he said, hmm. And next thing you know, he started having all these white suits made with the high collar and all of that. And from then on, he was always in white when he was out on stage. Now, I'm not saying I did that, but all of that, you know, there's a book that came out about his, his clothing. And they showed my portrait. And then from after that, there was all white. So anyway. And you were the only portrait artist to have a life sitting with Elvis. Yeah, I'm the only one that is in a book about him, all about the everything about his life. And they said, it's the only person that he ever posed for and he ever paid for and he ever allowed to hang in Graceland. As a matter of fact, it was paid in different checks. He paid it. Well, one night he came to get the painting and then he was supposed to come the next day and he came over there. And I used to go out to this place and ride horseback at night, but I also drank out there. So I was just too... You know, so I got a call from the. the uh, we have our own police force inside of Caesar's Palace and all the security guys. So they called me and said, Elvis is here and he wants to pick up the painting. And I said, He owes 10000 no, 12000 more dollars. And I said, So they told him, you know, so he said, I'll get it. So he got, went out somewhere within a few minutes and got $12,000. And he left with the painting still wet. And it was huge. I mean, it was four feet wide by uh, seven and a half feet high. This is the one that hangs, that's hangs in Graceland. That's the right. one that hangs in Graceland. Right. It is. It's a monumental right. painting. It's very large. But also, part of it was that it, um, 
It was, um, he let it hang in Graceland while he was alive, and it was in his bedroom the night he died. The painting was hanging there. Now, our portrait, the circular portrait of Elvis, you began that as that a life sitting. And I forgot to tell you that the next day he called and said, by the way, what's the size of the Johnny Mathis one? And I told him, he said, I want mine a foot bigger than that. And I'd already started the other one, and he didn't, I don't think he was paying, you know, I don't know, but uh, that's how yours started. So I had all this drawn in and the whole thing. So I put that away, and when I left Caesar's Palace, I stored it in my mother's garage. And it was years, and she kept saying, are you ever going to get that thing out of here? And uh, it was in a, you know, so that's how I continued finishing that for this, for the, the uh, exhibition here. So, I think one of the last things we wanted to ask you about was you've met with huge success as a portrait painter. Many, many people go through their whole lives and they, they might have that one opportunity to be in one place. You have portraits that are all over the world in palaces and castles in Hollywood in Vegas in Graceland mm-hmm. at the National Portrait Gallery that has to uh, that has to give you kind of a big head do you have a big head about your work no not at all you know my I'm always totally on what I'm working on now and I work on four or five paintings at a time and I'm working on a half finished shoe at the moment and a half-finished flower. I'm doing a whole series of other works so that I don't have to travel so much. You have to make two big trips for every portrait to get it, deliver it. Go there and get it, then you come back and then you deliver it. And traveling isn't fun anymore like it used to be, so I would rather stay in and do other stuff. But now as far as all these paintings go, I used to sometimes think, what in the world? Did how did this happen? Did I have one lucky break, like with Amelda Marcos, who commissioned all everybody she knew should paint this king, paint that king, all this? But I remember I painted a lot of, I mean, I painted other kings without anything to do with her, and I didn't, you know, I painted all these other people. But you know, the first time I painted royalty, I painted that from a dream when I was. Uh, I had watched the wedding of Princess Grace in 1956 on black and white television like everybody. And then I found out it was a newspaper article that they're coming to New York in November for four days. So I fell asleep that night and dreamed that out in my easel, I had a beautiful studio on 72nd Street, and I dreamed that there was a full-length portrait of her all in white. I got up out of the dream, walked out there. I expected it to be up on that easel, and there was nothing up there. So I had a house guest at that time, and I said, uh, I woke him up and said, would you like to make a $50 bet that I'm going to paint the first official portrait of Princess Grace? Because nobody had ever written about it or anything. So they said, go back to bed. so So from then on, it started spinning. And I called up a friend of mine, a dress designer, Luis Estevez, and said, I need a dress that look, could be painted for Princess Grace. He said, oh, I've got one. He said, I have a model that looks like, let's get that photograph. Let's get that photograph. Went down and did all of that. The next thing, that night I started painting. And uh, within a few days, oh, and I, I told him to show me the movie that she had just filmed that hadn't shown yet. And all I did was tell them that I'd been commissioned to do a portrait of her. 
and nobody investigated. Years later, when I was sitting telling Princess Grace about it, she said, what a little liar you are. (laughs) And I had told everybody that I'd been commissioned, but I told them, I knew that a lot of people knew everybody, so I said, the the prince's sister. And he had a sister that nobody liked and nobody saw. So I said, she commissioned this painting. So they would all, nobody would investigate it. And I went in and got all this going on. And you have to really, to get to these people, everybody kept saying, how does, so what I found out in my career is that whoever was the most important person on that block, I got to them. Do you know what I mean? Where there was a first block in Portsmouth, Virginia, where I'd paint the people who own the stores downtown. So literally, you are a shakedown artist. Well, I said, you know, you got to like bang it. They bang on the door and they don't let you in. Go through the window. <laughs> don't go through the chimney. But what the best thing to do is to get around them, get the portrait painted, and then look, there it is. Because you can't describe a painting. One night, Princess Grace called me because she had been wanted to see her portrait. And I said, you can't see it till Wednesday. And so anyway, Tuesday night, she calls me. She said, I can't go to sleep. I keep. I said, well, if I described it, I would be Tennessee Williams or something. But I can't describe a portrait. You're standing there in white in the middle of the... And I said, go to sleep and don't even think about it. And of course, the next day when she did come in, she... She looked out and she jumped up and down like a little girl and said, I love it, I love it. And I said that to a press once and they said that she acted childish. So you have to watch. I said she jumped up and down like a little girl, like she was so happy. So then they wrote it, she said, right, they spun it. So you have to watch all that too. But anyway, I was just, and it wasn't, and a lot of, I don't know how much was luck, but you got to be there where they are. Do you know what I mean? So one person brings you to a circle of other people and other people and other people, and it goes on and on and on. And I. All right. Well, I guess if there's anything else that you find stored away in your mother's garage that you need to let us know about, you'll know how to get in touch with us. But we want to thank you. Uh, Ralph Wolf Cohen, again, painted our portrait of Elvis, and he is also one of the most prolific, if not the most prolific portrait painter of all time. And we'll be talking with him more, I'm sure, as we move closer to the exhibition. Thank you again very much, Mr. Cohen. Oh, thank you. You know, we-